0: Welcome to the Your Money Personal Finance Podcast. I'm Peter Sashecki, the President of Everything Financial Group. And here we go with Episode 12 today uh, as we work our way this season through the Omni Formula Personal Financial Plan. As in Episode 11, we're going to have Chris Cook back from RBC Insurance. And we're going to be talking about disability insurance. We're going to make it Disability 101 He did a great job with critical illness. Uh, Best explanation I've ever heard, making it easy to understand. So once again, we're going to teach you to ask those questions about disability insurance you didn't even know you're supposed to ask. So welcome again, Chris. You're back in the hot seat. Yeah, thanks for
1: having me. Pleasure to be here.
0: So we're going to dive right into it. Um, So there's two basic types, I think, of disability insurance we hear about, especially with employers. We'll start there. But people always talk about STD. People, I don't mean what you might have got in high school when you don't remember you were out for a bad night and not one of those things that stays with you forever. Uh, but we're going to talk about STD or short-term disability and LTD, long-term disability. So what's the basic difference in those two types of disability insurance?
1: Length of time would be the easiest answer. So when you look at, at short-term disability, you're looking at um, a window of really zero days to... 120 days, in some cases, 180 days. So it's very, very short in time. And usually with short-term disability, it's going to pay you a weekly benefit. And it's just going to be enough to get you by. Then if the disability is severe enough, you get into long-term disability, which usually you're looking at 120 or 90, well, let's say 90 days plus. And usually with long-term disability, it's something that um, could be could last a long time. could be debilitating. could be life-changing. Something where you might be disabled for years, if not the rest of your life. And long-term disability does have a cap in the sense of when it ends. Like, eventually, you're cut off, the long-term disability. You're cut off. Yeah. Insurance companies are going to cut you off for the most part, age 65. There's some now that go to age 70. So insurance companies are starting to catch up with um, you know the state of affairs now where people are working longer they 're working past sixty five the old The old retirement age of sixty or sixty five isn 't necessarily the case for a lot of us anymore, and so some disability plans do go now to age seventy
0: so a common thing we get with disability when we 're doing the Omni formula is people think they have disability and many times they do, but they have disability through their group or their health benefits through their company. So group insurance or group yeah. disability insurance. And then there's the personally owned disability insurance, the one you own on yourselves. Yeah. What are some of the basic differences that you can see right away between your group
1: or personally owned disability? A big one between the two is, is ownership. So when you look at a group plan, uh, your employer's in control of that. So they own it. They've chosen which carrier to go with. Uh, And there's a price that's built into that. With a personal policy, it's yours. So you're the owner. You've chosen the plan. You've chosen the insurer. You've chosen something that's right for you. Uh, Another big difference between group and and personal is how it's priced. So with group, um, it's a plan that's reviewed every single year by an insurance company. If the, the company you work for has... A bad claims experience, meaning that more people have claimed for disability than the insurance company thought would claim, they might increase the price. So they have the right as an insurance company to increase the rate every year. So you're on this group plan with your employer. You're used to paying a certain amount. Here comes July 1. Let's say that's the renewal date of your group Mm -hmm. plan. And all of a sudden, your next pay stub, you see that, oh, geez, my price for disability just went up. So that can't happen on a group plan. With an individual plan, it's it's locked in. So typically, the price you pay today is the price you're going to pay for the rest, well, as long as you have it. Not always, but in many cases. So with a personal plan, there's a little bit more price stability, if you will. Uh, Last big difference between the two. And this is where uh, disability through an employer is great. With group long-term disability through an employer, there's usually a level of non-evidence coverage that everybody gets. So regardless of your health, you're going to get something typically with a group plan. It might not be all that you need. So there might be a cap to how much of that non-evidence coverage you can get. So non-evidence is no questions. No questions asked. No questions whatsoever. You just get it. So it's great for those who might have a little bit of a medical history or a family history where they're concerned about what insurance company is going to think. So with group plan, you're likely going to get some coverage, no questions asked. With an individual plan, there are questions asked. So we've all been through the application at 30 pages, (laughs) multiple questions asked. They really, they just dive into your full medical history. And so with an individual plan, there's no guarantees that you're going to be approved or approved standard. So um, yeah, I'd say those are probably three of the key differences between the two.
0: Mm. So let's just ask this question, then a follow up to that. If you have the insurance at work, the disability, you alluded to someone maybe who can't get insurance. So they get whatever, you know, the non-evidence limit is and they let's say it's fifteen hundred dollars, two thousand whatever. Yeah. Two thousand dollars. Now with life insurance with an employer, which we talked about in an earlier episode in episode 10, you can leave and you can convert that life insurance over to a personal plan. Can you do the same
1: with disability insurance? Sometimes you can, sometimes you can't. So some employers will have a conversion option which allows you to take your group long-term disability insurance with you when you leave. A lot don't though. For, so they have to put it in. They have to put it in. And usually there's a cost to that too, a cost that you as the policy holder or you as the, the employee is paying for. So um, most group long-term, I shouldn't say most, but many group long-term disability plans are... Um, non-taxable, meaning that the employee is paying for them. So Mm -hmm. you're paying out of pocket for your disability that you get through your employer. And um, sometimes you can take it with you. Sometimes you can't, but even if you can take it with you, um, it's important to look at the type of coverage you get from an employer. It it can be different than what you can buy on your own. And sometimes- Unless you're you're uninsurable. Unless you're uninsurable. In that case, well, then you'll take, well, ideally you get something at least. So So, it's great.
0: So the best way to know is ask your HR department and say, do I have this As a conversion option, because again, if you're uninsurable and you're going to leave your employer, but your health is not great. You maybe want to think twice because that's a irreplaceable benefit. Yeah. Um, But can you, here's the thing you talk about personal uh, own disability insurance, talk about group disability insurance through your employer.
1: Can you own both at the same time? You definitely can. So we can go back to that example of that non-evidence limits. Let's use 1,500 as an example. Let's say you get that through your employer. That's the amount that you have to participate in. Yeah. Typically with group disability, it's mandatory. Everybody's got to get it so that there's a good balance between, you know, healthy people and unhealthy people. And uh, once you've satisfied that, though, now the choice is yours. A lot of group plans, you might be able to buy more, um, but you have to prove your health. So then it's a choice. Do I want to prove my health through my company plan or do I want to go out and buy my own plan? And if you do want to buy your own plan, what an insurance company is going to do is they're going to plan around that group plan. They're going to say, okay, well, um, based on your income, we're going to give you X amount, but we're going to subtract out your group plan, the Y amount to end up at what the the total approvable amount is for you. So they're going to do that, and it's a snapshot in time. They're going to do that at that point in time to look at what you have currently, what's your income, what more can we give you? So that answers my next question. Way to go. So you could collect both. If you own both
0: and you're paying for both, you then can collect both if you get disabled. You can. But what's the maximum you can collect? Because I can't imagine... If I'm making $5,000 a month and I own, well, I couldn't own, could I, $7,000 a month of disability insurance? Because we saw this with CERB. Yeah. Now, that's not disability. That was a government benefit. But we saw enough people going, well, heck, if I don't have to work, why would I if I'm getting a free paycheck? Yeah. Because I could, and I know this and you know this, we've seen abuse in the disability realm for years. Yeah. kind of no different than uh, auto insurance with ICBC with claims, right. like people who will try and claim anything, and yes. uh, which which spoils the pot for the rest of those, the majority, vast majority, who legitimately need coverage. Yeah. So how much can you realistically claim compared to the income you were receiving before you went
1: on disability? So there's, there's oftentimes a built-in limit, especially on group plans and individual as well. And you're usually looking at about 85% of your after-tax income. So it's kind of, it's just enough for you to be financially uncomfortable enough to be motivated to want to return to work. So you're right, it, it's very, very rare if you're making $5,000 a month that you're gonna be able to get 7,000. In a crazy scenario, it's possible, but 99 times out of 100, there is a maximum cap. And usually it's, it, you're looking at that 85% window. You might tweak it a little bit from there, but but that's a good rule of thumb.
0: So people, when you're thinking about financial planning, now go back to episode 11 and look at critical illness as a lump sum of cash that you might need in the short term to make up for that money you just are now suffering the loss of because unfortunately you're disabled. Yeah. Nothing like a shameless plug to <laughs> a previous episode, but my podcast, I can do whatever <laughs> That's I want. Right. So let's talk a bit about one of the biggest definitions I see out there with people when I'm doing benefits for a company and I'm doing an individual plan for someone, and maybe you can explain the difference because there's a lot of misconception about this, but the biggest thing is own occupation and any occupation because that is, I see as one of the biggest differences between the majority yeah. of group plans. Group is, again, people through your employer, or own occupation, something you'll try and get through a benefit um, You know when you're buying it for yourself. So what's the biggest yeah. difference between
1: those two? It's, so when you look at disability insurance, um, what it covers is really anything that can happen to you mentally, physically, that leads you unable to work. So it could be an illness, like a critical illness, or it could be an injury, or it could be a mental illness. So all these things could be severe enough where you can't work for a long period of time. You need you need your, an insurer, you, you submit a claim and an insurer comes in and, and pays you that 85%. So then- then it comes down to these definitions, as you mentioned, own occupation and any occupation. When an insurance carrier looks at whether you're disabled, they're going to look at whether you have the ability to do the important duties of your job at the time of claim, and you need to be under the care of a doctor. So mm-hmm. they're not just going to take your word for it. It's got to be a doctor. Oh, come on. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry to say, you can't just file a form and say, I'm disabled. You need a, you need a doctor to kind of vet it and, and prove it, if you will. So usually a specialist. So... Um, That's an own occupation definition Under own occupation definition. It's you can't do the important duties of your job at the time a claim. And that's what an insurance company is going to look at, regardless of whether you might be able to do other things. If you can't do the job you were doing, they're going to pay you a benefit as long as you're in the care of a doctor. Now, in any occupation definition broadens the scope a bit for an insurance carrier. The definition changes to basically the inability to do the important duties of any job out there that you're suited for by way of education, training, experience, and prior economic status. So let's use an example. Um, that might be the best way to, to look at the two. Let's say, um, let's take an occupation, and this is where the occupations really make a difference. Let's say you're a, you're a pilot. And um, hopefully a good one. Hopefully a good one. You know, pilots have a very specific skill set. They need to be able to well fly planes, helicopters, wherever the case may be. Well, I thought it was play Xbox. <laughs> <So> <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: I'm kidding, pilots. So Some I'm of us, gonna, yeah, I like got a lot of pilots
1: pilots. I'm going to get hate mail now for just <laughs> yeah. making a joke. <laughs> <laughs> so, so let's say, uh, what do you need to be a pilot? Well, you need to have well, probably 20/20 vision. You need to uh, you need to have peripheral vision. You need to be um, of sound body and mind. And so, let's say. You have a pilot who's um, suffering from an eye condition. Uh, maybe it's something where um, uh, their vision either isn't twenty or they're losing kind of the center focus yeah. of their vision. It's, it's blurring out. So when you look at a disability, then, you know, vision for a pilot's pretty pretty serious. So under an own occupation definition, they likely can't fly. Um, the Canadian Avi- Aviation Agency probably isn't going to let them fly, Um they're disabled from being able to fly. So an insurance carrier will look at that under an own occupation definition to say, you can't do one of the important duties of your job, you're under the care of a doctor. But what about under an any occupation definition? What other things could a pilot do, um, even though they don't have, let's say, perfect vision anymore, could they... Um, be a teacher? Could they be um, a consultant, an advisor? Are are there other jobs out there that they might be able to do and still earn a good income? So what an insurance company might do in that scenario under any occupation definition is say, well, um, based on your medical information we have, we're going to run a jobs report and just look at what other occupations that you're suited for. um, And we believe you can fully do, even though you have this eye condition. And in an extreme scenario, under an any occupation definition, an insurance company might say, we've satisfied ourselves to believe that you can do some of these jobs, and they're going to pay you um, roughly 50%, 60% of what you were making before. So it's not the insurance carrier's responsibility to, to find you a job, or even one that's going to pay you as much as you were earning before. They just need to satisfy their requirement to look at, well, we think you can do these jobs. We, they might offer vocational rehab, maybe some job placement support. So there are added things they offer, but in extreme scenario, they might say, we're going to start to take you off of claim because we don't think you satisfy the definition of disability under any occupation. So if you're
0: going to go out and get this other job that's 50 or 60%, let's just use that. Yeah. Who picks up the extra percentage to get you to 85%.
1: Well, under an any occupation definition, in that scenario, usually the insurance company at that point has said your claim is now closed. So So, there is no one. Any
0: occupation is a gaping hole like the Grand Canyon. So if you can get own occupation, grab it because then you're more in control of your disability claim. Versus the insurance company being in control of your disability claim.
1: That's a good way to put it. So own regular occupation. It, it, there's some added protection, no question about it, because now it's about your job. Can you do your job? Not any other job out there.
0: So okay. So when we're talking about occupation, then let's let's go into this one here. Um, I'm known for in the circles I'm in with with the the, the you know the platforms I use about trying to save people money, looking at unnecessary fees, looking at full disclosure. Yeah. Um, I know with disability, there's occupation ratings. Is that really the the item that can save you a lot of money in premium? Is that kind of the biggest, one of the biggest differences? Also, yeah. what are some other things? Be So maybe you can explain occupation rating a little bit, but also some of the other ways you can reduce premium if you so needed to but you really do
1: still need some coverage. Yeah. Um, So let's talk about the occupation rating or class first, because you're right. That is a a big determinant of cost. And so when you look at a disability um, and disability insurance, it's not like you can pinpoint one single condition as being a claimable condition. Disability insurance, as we mentioned, could really be be anything Mm -hmm. that's severe enough to the point where you can't work. But what job are you doing? And so an occupation class or rating is a way for an insurance companies to basically bucket different occupations into different price categories. So as an example, um, let's say you're a a white collar employer, a lawyer, an accountant, financial advisor, you might be a 4A, which is uh, the very best rating. Because when you look at the type of duties you do, they're very white collar. And so what type of disability would be severe enough for you to be unable to do your job? We looked at the pilot example. If, um, Well, even you and I, if we had a a vision issue, it's very likely we could still do most, if not all, of our important duties of what we do day to day. So that might not be a claimable condition for us, but for a pilot, it would. And so what an insurance company does is they they bucket these occupations into different risk classes. So uh, a 4A would be... um, I suppose the lowest risk, if you will, white-collar occupations. And then it goes down from there, a a 3A, a 2A, an A, and a B. So if you look at, uh, let's say, a a truck driver or or a taxi driver, they might be a a lower-risk class because there's a lot more things that can happen. They're doing a a higher-risk job, number one. They're at risk of car accidents on a daily basis. And there's more physical things that can happen where they might not be able to do their job. If they have a back issue, they might not be able to sit in a, in a car or a truck for 8, 10, 12 hours a day. Um, whereas someone who works in an office might be able to kind of work around that back issue. Maybe it means um, having a standing desk or maybe it means an ergonomic chair or something they can do to, to, make, to, to still allow them to work. And so with that occupation class rating comes a price. So mm-hmm. a truck driver – all things being considered w- would likely pay more than um, a lawyer, accountant, financial advisor. So,
0: well, thinking about that, maybe some, uh, you know, when we're recording this here in 2023, maybe some of the Canuck goalie should look at disability insurance. Cause the way they can't stop pucks this year, I think they have vision issues. <laughs> but that's just my opinion. <laughs> so let's wrap this up with just g- diving into one other thing here. Um, everyone really, for the most part, though, by default, if you're working, does already have disability insurance, sort of, through EI and CPP. Yeah. I know it's it's got gaping holes in it, but a lot of people don't understand that, that there is a little bit of benefit
1: out there. So how do those ones pay? Yeah. So- Besides not very well. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's great that we're in Canada and we have these these support systems. So, employment insurance, disability is something that can kick in, and it's really short term in nature. What's that STD stuff again? Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You it, caught it. It's a form of, it's a short term. So, there was news this year about extending that to 26 weeks or, or six months, but uh, it, it's very short term in nature, and there's a maximum cap on how much you get. And it's taxable as well. So it's a payment you can get very short-term in nature. So there are some gaping holes to it. When you look at CPP, CPP disability is one that's going to pay you for a longer time. It's now your long-term one. It's one where um, it's not going to pay you for the first four months. It's going to kick in so after Because that's the that. EI part. That's the EI part. Okay. So that's kind of your waiting period. It's going to pay you to 65, but it's not going to pay you enough. If you look at the maximum... Um, in Canada, it's somewhere around 1450 Yeah, it's like a, a CPP claim.
0: Yeah. Like, like, like the retirement like benefit. Like retirement benefit, yeah. But don't you pretty much, and people don't take this the wrong way, and this is for your protection, I'm saying this, but don't you really have to be in really, really rough shape
1: before CPP kicks in to pay you? Yeah, yeah. You look at CPP, and and um, from what I've read, it it really is one of those catastrophic disabilities. It's better than nothing. It's better. better than nothing. Yeah, but it it's probably a disability that's severe enough that you you might not ever work again. It's probably going to be life changing.
0: Or I guess probably a lot of times where I've seen it kick in is for people who are really late in their careers, where like like back injuries and certain things like that. When it's late in your career, you don't have enough time to really recover. Because the recovery period might be too long that you're almost at retirement age, if you will, or end of disability age 65. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah, that's a good way to look at it. Well, thanks again for coming in. Uh, You did so well. I'm going to get you back next year and we'll discuss something different in next season. But I just everyone want to thank Chris Cook from RBC. Uh, That's a wrap for this episode, talking about disability insurance. Hopefully you've answered a lot of the basic questions and that's what today was. Just to give you some... Basic insight, how disability insurance is ex- extremely important. As again, I said, the most important insurance you can really get. Because remember, if you, if you have life insurance and you pass away, well, that's not good. Um, but you're not there as a financial and emotional burden to your family. But if you get disabled, it affects you. It affects your loved ones. It affects the finances, mental stability. It affects everyone. So don't assume Because you have benefits at work, you have the right disability insurance. Come talk to us at Everything Financial. We will make that part of the omni-formula discussion, and that's what we go through is all the different levels to make sure you have the right things to protect you. Reach out to us. uh, Look at the past episodes. Wait there for future episodes. Go to YouTube, to Everything Financial Group. Look at all the different shows, or if you want to reach out, have a question you want answered, now or or something answered on a future podcast. Just email us at yourmoney@everythingfinancial.com. Thanks again, Chris and people. That's a wrap.